Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Fintech for the People, the Axion Venture Lab podcast. I'm Matt Shar, operating partner here at Venture Lab, and we're continuing our series on the topics of Web3, blockchain, and crypto, and their potential impacts on financial inclusion. Now, before I introduce our guests this week, I wanted to quickly mention that we recently published our initial thesis on Web3 and financial inclusion. It's a comprehensive look at the Web3 world and the set of criteria we are using to evaluate the space as investors. A lot of what we've discussed this season helped inform our perspective, and we're very grateful to have so many thoughtful people in this space building their own perspectives on the topic. We'll include a link to the article in the show notes. Now, back to today's guest. I'm excited to be joined by Mercedes Bidard, co-founder and CEO of Kipu. Kipu, as Mercedes mentions on the show, is a Web3-enabled financial institution based in Colombia, focused on providing essential financial services to women-owned MSMEs. In this episode, we'll discuss Kipu's origins based on Mercedes' experience and researching in women-owned businesses and economic development. We also explore Kipu's journey to adopting liquidity pools as a source of capital for lending to MSMEs and the opportunities and challenges that provides. I think it would be great to get kicked off and hear more about your background and your own journey in becoming a founder. I'm born and raised uh, in Argentina. I'm um, actually a political scientist and city planner. So I have like a weird background in the fintech world. When I was at the university, I really wanted to to build something that could support communities living in the in the outskirts of cities, mostly living in informal settlements. So I was working for an organization on one side on microfinance, like really being on the ground and supporting women that were, you know, having their their business and supporting them to grow that business. So that was one of the things I was doing mostly every Saturday. But then during the week, I was working at a think tank on public policy, uh, based basically on cities policies. And and I've seen, you know, that, that gap between like what policymakers were thinking and, and doing regarding like inf- the informal economy and, and informality in cities. And on the other side, actually what was going on on the ground and what these families were facing and what these women were facing. Right. And I said, okay, there's, there might be another, like another thing we could do, you know, that it's not necessarily public policy or not necessarily like an NGO, but what we could do that can support and build wealth in the informal segments of our cities. And that's what actually drove me to study city planning and to start thinking on uh, technology. Right. So I got the chance to to do my master's at MIT, that it's a really, you know, technology-driven university and entrepreneur-driven university. And, you know, back in Argentina, I didn't know what was a startup. Like, that was not my world. I It was not as, as known, you know, at that time. It was like pretty rappy. <laughs> and so when I got into, into this university, into MIT, I... First, I connected with my co-founders. I connected with other people that see that have seen the same problems in their home countries that were Colombia, uh, one of my co-founders. And we said, okay, there, there might be something we could create to support, you know, uh, women and families living in informality to build wealth. That is not just, you know, creating income, but actually it's like how that income keeps in the, in the local communities and creates new jobs and drives the local economies. So there's when we started with the idea of Kipu. 
yeah, and it was a really fun and, and long journey, building, pivoting, changing the idea a lot, but always focus on the same problem, which is the, the informal economy, right? And, and the same segment, if you want. Great. And uh, as a as a former aerospace engineer turned fintech investor, I certainly appreciate <laughs> having uh, having different backgrounds that enter into the financial services space. So kudos to you on that. And I, I, I stand in solidarity. When you think about the, the phases of Kipu, and you mentioned you've gone through some, some pivots, but what you've landed on now, maybe share where, where you've refined the model to get to this point, and maybe even speaking a bit more around Colombia in particular and what's, what's been happening in that market. For sure. Yeah. So, so now we landed at uh, creating a bank. So actually now we're building a, we call it a digital decentralized bank for the informal economy in Latin America that supports mostly women, you know, that work from their homes and that, you know, are, are this economic engine of, of, of Latin cities. So basically what we, our, our main insight is that there are a lot of people that are being assessed by banks in a wrong way because they are being assessed as, as people like, um, like, um, yeah, but, but not as a business, right? But these people have a business. They are selling something. They are creating something. And as this business is informal and actually like eight out of 10 of uh, MSME in the region are informal. So because of that, you know, there's no way in which they can understand not just the person that comes to ask alone, but actually what happens with the the production and the, the business this person is running. So basically that's our insight. Like these people are completely left behind of the formal financial system. They are accessing loans. They are, but in the informal market. Like they are called payday lenders, shark loans, right? And this is violent and it's and it's really the cost of accessing those loans is really high, right? So what we're doing is understanding how these businesses work, even if they are informal, in a digital way. So you can access uh, working capital with Kipu to buy supplies or machinery for your business. And we assess your credit worthiness based on the data we ask you to fill out on our platform. And that data has to do with you as a person, but mostly you as an, as an entrepreneur, right? As a small entrepreneur. So that's where we landed. And actually we landed here because we've been doing a pilot in a public housing neighborhood in Barranquilla on the on the Caribbean coast of Colombia. I've been there for for a year and I was doing this pilot with the IDV lab really to understand how we could, you know, move the status quo of these families from being offline or, or these businesses from being offline to be online, right? In the middle, COVID hit, hit us. So you can imagine like we launched the product in the middle of COVID. Um, so basically what we were trying to do made more sense at that point, right? And in this year of piloting, what we learned is actually that, you know, a market, we started being a marketplace. So a marketplace business was not exactly what could be monetized in the segment because most of the transactions are in cash. Uh, people take care of their own delivery. So that was not like the business model for the segment. So that was like, okay, this is not the way, right? Then we built a token with which people could transact with one another without using money. So it was kind of like a barter system. It's called like a mutual credit system. And well, we started people thinking on how we can serve all Latin America, right? Not just one neighborhood. But even for one neighborhood, when there's such a scarcity of money, 
people need like fiat currency, right? Like they cannot just rely on alternative ways of transaction. So that was not like solving their main pain point. And then we said, okay, if we don't solve their main pain point, which is at this point access to working capital, and mostly after COVID, where like they had to like go out of business because of, you know, getting sick and not being able to work and et cetera, et cetera. We said, okay, we need to start from there. And that's why, you know, our main solution and our driver for the digitization is the access to working capital. And that's where we are now. And this is the, the product we are scaling. I want to come back to this point around tokenization and, and utilization of, of crypto specific technologies. You sort of answered the question there too, around there's existing systems like, you know, you have these, these microfinance banks like Banco Sol. In, uh, in Bolivia and, and several ones in LATAM. And it sounds like what you're also seeing in, in your research is that there are some fundamental challenges when it comes to access to this end customer that those microfinance institutions simply are not, are not answering. So it need to be solutions like, like Kipu to come onto the market. For sure. And you know what we've seen is that being poor is very expensive. Like it's extremely expensive, like because of being poor and not not having a transaction, a credit history or being blacklisted, you know, because 90 percent of the of our users are blacklisted. So that's why also not even microfinance institutions are able to, you know, attend them to support them. And in the end, the product that microfinance institutions are providing, they are at really high costs. It's not that, you know, it's not the same cost as, uh, as banks. Right. So our thesis is saying we think that if we are able to get more and more and more data of the businesses and understanding how they are working online, like not we don't need to be on the ground and, and visiting that business and taking a month to deliver a loan, but actually being like really fast, we will be able, you know, to attend a segment that is paying a lot because of being poor, right? And I think we can only do that with technology. Share a bit more around this working capital element. So you're using a token that basically is, is, the, is the transaction currency that's used uh, between small business owners as sort of the currency on which this is all operating. Um, is the working capital also self-generated or is that coming in from an outside outside source? So that's that mean, what the first part of the question. And the second one is just, just creating stability in this, you know, in this crypto, uh, you know, in, in your specific token market. How are you really ensuring stability so that it is a good hedge against the instability fluctuations of, of fiat currency and also as, as a good counter to high interest that, that they would be looking at on the informal, uh, informal lending sector? I will explain a bit like how all this evolved and what we learned, you know, from that first idea, which was this token being a mutual credit system and what it landed to be right now. So basically, we discovered that just a token for people to transact that was not as interesting for our type of user because they need to buy things outside their neighborhood so they need fiat currency to do that right so they cannot accept all their sales into a local currency that's or a, it could be currency it could be token it could be points whatever right like we really changed how that was called now it's called kipu points so that ended up being kind of like a loyalty program system uh, where we give out those points to people depending on how they behave on the platform. They can use those points to buy to other merchants on the platform. But actually, it's not the main attraction of the platform at this point. 
how we connected this with, with Web3, like how this landed, you know, we said, okay, the main pain point of our user is the access to capital. We need to solve that problem if we want, you know, people to change their status quo. If we want people to go like from being uh, offline to be online. Okay. Secondly, how we can access capital at better rates, because one of the main challenges we have as a lending platform is the cost of capital. Capital is, is very expensive, right? And as we are attending uh, high-risk profiles, then we need to say, okay, how we don't translate all the cost of capital into the end user? And then we, you know, because we don't want to end up being a, a digital payday lender, right? So we said, okay, we are creating a collateralized loan protocol that is, imagine like the AVI or Gonfint protocol, where we are basing the decision of where the money from the liquidity pool goes, depending on the scoring that we are creating of our users. So we are creating, using AI, we are creating a scoring per user that this is off-chain. This is something that we already build on, on Web2 if you want, but we need to tap on you know the liquidity that Web3 can offer. And we want to connect this segment that is really far, you know, from uh, that liquidity. So basically what we what we're doing is this uncollateralized loan protocol where we create liquidity pools. We get any lender that could be individual lenders or institutional lenders to lend into these liquidity pools. Each liquidity pool has a different risk. Actually, so let's say it in like plain English or Spanglish. Imagine like you come here, you put, would you have some USDC with that stable coin? You buy some of our tokens, right? This token you are buying is called interest bearing token. It will increase the value as our users repay the loans. So basically you are putting money on a pool. From that pool, we are allocating that funds into our users. When they repay, a piece of the, so the principal plus a piece of the interest they are paying back comes to the liquidity pool to give yields to the lenders and actually to move the value of that token that you bought. What we are doing is really connecting lenders from all over the world to fund this type of micro businesses. We are the ones that are saying, okay, this is, this micro business has this level of scoring. So you know, it will pay back. So we are the ones like deciding where the, where, how the liquidity pool distributes into our users. And then how we are connecting that tokenization, we thought, you know, we thought in the beginning, and, and I was explaining to you in the beginning, how we are connecting it now with the user is saying another piece of the interest rate that the user pays back goes to back a token or these Kipu points that is this loyalty program we have on the platform. But now, instead of just using it to buy to other merchants inside the ecosystem that we built, people, this token is having, you know, value outside of the platform. So people can save with that, with that token, they can pay back their loan, they can even invest. And we are giving out this token as rewards, depending on the same that we were doing before. Depending if you bring people to a plus, if you bring referrals, if you pay on time, if you have your uh, store updated on the platform. And this is how, you know, we are building this ecosystem where not just like everybody wins. And this is the, the nice thing about Web3, right? It's like everybody's winning. Like the lender is winning, the end user is winning and it's being part of the ecosystem. I find it interesting because we actually talked with Sam from Goldfinch on a previous episode. And so the the nature of liquidity pools and 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 the you know bringing it into the market i think goldfinch is thinking more from the perspective of lending larger amounts of capital instead of going directly i think to the end the end customer 
and we'll be right back. And welcome back to the show. You've, you've mentioned the goal here at the end of the day is lower cost lending to uh, an underbanked and underserved customer. Given the fact that many of these customers are, according to the traditional financial system, are quote unquote high risk. How is it you're assessing them, number one, in terms of their their risk and how you assign them to different liquidity pools or like what, what kind of liquidity pool will be will be used to deliver capital to them? And then also, what are you seeing in terms of the overall cost of capital uh, when you also incorporate repayment, delinquency, par? What are you seeing so far in terms of, of how that's uh, how that all is being being managed? What we've seen so far is that there's appetite in the crypto world to fund, you know, this type of to, to have like a return of like 10 percent annual return or like imagine a 12, 15 percent. And that's even cheaper than what uh, institutional debt can cost to a lending platform like ours. So that's what I've seen on the on the side of the lenders. On the side of the borrowers, we are getting a lot of data and of their behavior as a business that is allowing us to really determine which is the risk of these users. And and it's really insane. Like the 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 correlations we are finding between like not even so they give us like information of who are the clients, how are they are relating with these clients, how is their business looking like? Well, a, a lot of, of pieces of, of data we are getting. And based on that data is that them as as borrowers can start with a $25 loan or they start with a higher amount. So basically this, you know, rotative loan is allowing us to filter, if you want, the mostly high risk profiles or, or, or the ones that actually won't pay because that's that's a reality that's that's obviously that happens. So basically this allows us to say, okay, who is willing to pay? who is, you know, actually improving how their business is, is selling and is able to be accessing higher amounts of loans. So I think those two strategies, you know, of all the data we are capturing plus the rotative loan and the way we are disbursing the loan is allowing us to do that and assess the, assess the risk, which is our main value added, you know, in order to provide yields to the, to the lenders too. And, and from the borrower side, what are some of the general anecdotes or the feedback you've been getting from customers that are leveraging these loans and, and some of the other access points they have to lending? 70% of our users are women. And this is something that is global and you know it as Action, Action Venture Lab, right? Like you know that this is, a, this is something that happens all around the global south, um, this, type of, this type of user profile. And basically what they find on us is a community. And that's the biggest thing we emphasize is like, this is not just a platform that will give you some money and, you know, we will come here and ask you to pay back and, and that's it. But it's actually like a platform where you will connect with a community where actually if you pay back, then the token you are getting increases the value, you know, and, and actually like if you, like if your economy grows, then the other economy of the, of the other community members is growing. And what I've seen is that, they feel very inspired by being connected with other people that are facing the same challenges. Because I'm sure, and I've seen this, that the same women living in Buenos Aires, you know, in the outskirts of Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina, is having the same challenges that a women living in the outskirts of 
Bogota, right? Or, or, or one living in Africa, but I will, I will just keep the scope to Latin America. So in a way, what we are trying to do is really uh, make that, you know, feeling of connection. And that's one of the main things that they value of being on the platform. It's like they feel an, an identity and it's aspirational. The other thing we've been developing, and this, is, this was because of really listening to the users, is that they buy their supplies to their, to, to their builder products it's very high, like the price they are paying to buy their supplies because they can't buy in bulk, right? So they buy in like small amounts and that's like 300x uh, more expensive than if, if they could buy in bulk. So basically what we are doing is kind of like a buy now, pay later model where they don't get the money on hand, but actually we open that lines of trade with, with certain suppliers where they access the supplies at a 20% discount and finance, right? Like we finance that purchase. And this is actually improving how we are, this, how we will be able, you know, to disburse loans in crypto, because this is a, this is a segment that, you know, their digital literacy is obviously lower than other segments, right? So the way in which we are uh, doing it is, okay, they don't see, they don't need to change crypto into fiat currency at all. They just get, get a uh, line of credit open in different suppliers and the crypto goes directly into the suppliers in fiat. So these are ways in which we need to think on how actually, you know, these benefits of the crypto world get and connects with this type of, of user. This leads into the next question is the current crypto environment in many ways has, I think there's been a lot of, a lot of structural questions around it, just as we've seen. One thing I'm curious about is, you're operating in Colombia. There's always these open questions around how regulators are going to look at crypto and, uh, and, and digital currencies. What are some things you're keeping an eye out on to ensure that you can continue to smartly leverage some of the technologies that crypto enables while also um, not, uh, not uh, you know, the decision that comes down from the central bank in Colombia that could shut things down overnight? Yeah, we are preparing with lawyers. <laughs> so that's that's one of the ways in which we are preparing. We have really good investors that are like from the crypto world. So that that's also another thing. Like we are really surrounded by people that are in the front lines of, of these types of protocols and what we are trying to do. The way in which it frames in the legal framework here is that you cannot capture money. You cannot capture massively money, right? Like that's that's something that you cannot do here in Colombia. So that's and the way in which we are not doing that is that from in our liquidity pool, when you are investing on the liquidity pool, you are actually buying an asset. So as you are buying an asset, which is a token, we are not like capturing, you know, your your money, but actually we sold you something, right? And we allocate that money directly to the users. So it's like it gets to the pool, it goes to a user, right? Uh, and then you, when, when it gets, comes back to the pool, it's like actually increasing the value of your token. So that's the way in which we are framing it now. It's not just the Colombian laws, but actually it's also the state's laws because we are also registering, the, we are registering in Delaware and, and in Colombia, uh, as most of fintechs in, in Latin America. So basically, we are creating a lot of like legal concepts. Uh, there's a really big gray area. But at the same time, I think that there's, you know, these sandbox, uh, sandboxes being created 
in our countries where they are allowing, you know, some experimentation on the field. And, and we are like getting into that, right? Like really getting into that sector of like experimentation. And, and the other thing is like what I was telling you of, okay, we are the ones, you know, creating the pools, providing the, the returns and the user is like, we are locating the, the, the lines of credit, but like the user is not, they don't need to change that USDC into fiat, right? We are like giving out the loans in fiat. So that's the way in which we are like uh, doing it up, up to this point. I think governments are also listening a lot to entrepreneurs and, and are open now to this new decentralized world in a way. And maybe just a follow up on that. So when it comes to and what I think the pillars of financial inclusion is around consumer slash customer security and protection of assets. So when they actually receive a loan from the liquidity pool, where is the securitization on that? So you mentioned you mentioned this is ultimately you're treating it as an as an asset. Are there assets, you know, and and whatever whatever sort of protections around repayments? essentially the basic things that come along with receiving um, a loan from a, a formal sector, there is some baseline of that. Yeah. So for now, it's like really in the traditional way, if you want. So it's, we have an insurance, you know, of the loans and they have a provision of the loans. They signed a contract, you know, when they get the money, it's like, for now, it's really not, you know, hurting the, the point of the user accessing the money. Because if we make it more complicated or if we, you know, ask the user right now to download a wallet and blah, 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 that will be like, it will put another level of difficulty. And they are really low literacy, uh, digital literacy user. So most of our communication is through WhatsApp. So you can imagine like the way in which we are doing it right now is like signing a contract and being sure that we, we are provisioning for these loans, right? And that's it, like mostly in a, in a like web two way, if you want. And I think really what I've learned so far, trying to be, you know, a, a decentralized, trying to build really decentralized finance for the informal economy, but at the same time, understanding the informal economy is that we need to be like a hybrid, right? Like we need to first try out things on web two on like, we need to First, understand if this is serving people, actually, you know, and not just trying to build crypto because of being crypto, but building crypto. But like, I think that hybrid is really important. I'm coming to a very similar conclusion on this, that there is there are Web2 principles around compliance, security and access to a low digital literacy customer with Web3 capabilities that can sort of enhance the the overall pool of accessible capital to um, to those customers, and so I think it's I, I think there's there's much more I think we have to learn on that. But but I I absolutely agree with you that that trying to highly digitize highly digitize these customers has also resulted in them being left behind uh, because of the the ramp up it takes for them to become digitally savvy. When you thought about using a nascent technology like Web three to help solve this. I think there's oftentimes, especially in Silicon Valley, it's go chase after the shiny thing, the new type of technology, but may not necessarily in principle solve the issue. So we'd be curious to hear your thoughts around where you began to came, come to this conclusion that there was a balance between not old tech, but somewhat, you know, these, these, these existing sort of protocols and systems with new tech. 
So as I told you, we, we started uh, being a crypto startup. So this was like, we said, actually, I got a prize like of innovation uh, there at the university. Uh, the first prize I got was because of being a blockchain and fintech platform. So our first idea was like how, you know, we create this trading system on a blockchain. People, you know, don't need to use money to transact. They, get, they can tra- transact with an alternative currency. So that was like the, the first idea, right? And we put that out in the world. We've, we've done that. But when we were building that solution, that MVP, we said, no, wait, like we don't need to have a token to do this. We can have like just a traditional Excel, actually, like a traditional database. And we will like say people that this is an alternative currency. So that was like the first thing we've done. And then when we put that out in the world, people, well, then uh, we noticed that people were very scared of thinking of another currency. So we call it points. So that's why it's like Kipu Points is like a loyalty program, literally, but it's a loyalty program that you can use with your neighbors. So that's how we frame it. And because we launched this in the middle of COVID, where there was a really, really big, you know, uh, economic crisis, the entrepreneurs were saying us, yes, this is great, but I need money. Like I need fiat currency. You know, I this is not like, and, and the other thing is that things in the neighborhoods are more expensive than outside the neighborhoods. So if you just, like, if your platform is just for buying inside the neighborhood, then people will say, no, wait, like, things are cheaper outside. Why I will, you know, accept this currency that I can just use inside if things are more expensive. So because of all that, like, feedback we got, we said, okay, there might be, like, an utopian and amazing world where actually people will have their own way, mean of transaction. And we've seen this, this is, like, Community currencies started in the Great Depression in in Switzerland. So we know that, you know, this exists, this works, but in context of great scarcity as informal settlements, this was not like the main tool, you know, for them. So there's where we said, okay, first we can try out things without being, you know, on crypto. We can do it in in another way and then see if it makes sense, you know, to build it or not. So that's what we've been doing. And and basically then we said, okay, we can create a way in which people can transact with one another. But this way needs to have a cash out, needs to have value outside also the the ecosystem of users. And there's where we connected, you know, the loans with a mean of transaction for the, the users of, of the community. So that's why, you know, we got into this point where, okay, this is like a way in which we can get liquidity, but at the same time, you know, give more value to this token that people can use to transact, but also they can use to pay back their loans, which is their main pain point, you know? So it's, it's been a lot of aha moments and things that we thought were going to work and then they didn't. And so, yeah, you have to be open to frustration. <laughs> The uh, the journey of a founder, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I think the main, the 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 most important thing is is listening. It's like the most important skill at this point. Yeah, when you think about the the next building blocks to helping this, uh, helping Kipu become what you aspire for it to become, what 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 is it you need? We are raising our seed round. We are in the middle of the seed round, so we already got half of it. And really, we have already the team that is. So we have all we build all inside. My my co-founder is the CTO. 
she's the one building the algorithm. She's the one, you know, coding the whole Web3 side. So, and, and we have our own tech team. We have our own financial team. Like the team is really where it has to be. So now I'm very, very happy because of that. This is something of the last three months that I've done these hires. And now we are at the point of scaling. We are growing 25% week over week. We are lowering our default rates, really making our algorithm be more and more accurate, doing the onboardings like nine times faster than any microfinance institution. But at this point, obviously, we need fuel, you know, to be alive for between 18 and 24 months. That's what, that's what we aim to because of also the moments we are living. And at the same time, we already got some lines of debt, which is really good. So we have fuel to give out the loans, but we are doing a an alpha version of the liquidity pools. They are open and we are accepting investors that want to get into this alpha version before launching the beta version at the beginning of next year. And is really giving returns of 10%, you know, uh, annualized based on this investment on the debt side, right? Like for the loans. So we divide like our operations from the from the loans. Um, but we think that we will be able to really scale through the liquidity pools more than any institutional debt we could get. We're excited to see see where, where it goes. And thanks for taking some time to, to chat today, Mercedes. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Of course. It's really good being here and I really admire your work. So it's really nice being here. That's it for this week's episode. And thanks for listening. You can learn more about Kipu at kipubank.com. That's Q-U-I-P-U bank.com or on Twitter at Kipu Bank. And as another quick reminder, don't forget to follow Axion Venture Lab on Twitter at Axion VLab or on our LinkedIn page. And finally, this is the last call to join us in The Hague next week for the FinTech for Inclusion Summit. You can register now at fintechforinclusionsummit.com. We're really excited to bring over 200 attendees to The Hague for a day of insights and learning across a variety of hot topics in the inclusive fintech space, including a panel on Web3. As for the podcast, join us in two weeks for our final episode this season, where I'm joined by a familiar voice, Ami Parbu, Managing Director of Venture Lab and fellow FinTech for the People host. As we provide a bit of a recap on what we've learned this season and our approach to evaluating opportunities in Web3 moving forward. We'll see you then. <laughs>